let's come back to Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, looking at the first 12 verses of Mark, chapter 12, the wicked vine dressers, the wicked vine dressers. Most of you will already know that a parable is an earthly story with some heavenly meaning, heavenly message, although that's just part of it all. It's a so earthly story, heavenly meaning. In the parable before us, a certain man planted a vineyard and rented it out to husbandmen or vine dressers before departing for a far country. As for the vineyard, we read in verse 1 of chapter 12, And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. Well, it would seem that the hedge would have been for security reasons to keep out thieves, wild animals and so on. The place for the wine fat or the wine press would have probably consisted, consisted of two troughs in the ground, one trough higher than the other uh, with a channel joining the two. Grapes would have been um, crushed in the higher trough and the juice would have flowed down the channel into the lower trough. The tower would have been there for men to keep watch and also it would have been there um, for accommodation for the men and also for storage. There you go. So there's the vineyard. Various servants were sent by the vineyard owner to receive fruit as payment. That would have been in accordance with the terms of the tenancy agreement that was made with the tenants. And in verses 2 through to 5, we have a detailed account of what happened to those various servants who were sent to the tenants. Let's have a look at verses 2 to 5. And at the season he sent to the husbandmen a servant that he might receive from the husbandmen of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. So this is the first servant who is sent. Incidentally, there is a parallel account in Matthew's Gospel There are some differences. I will be referring to Matthew's account on one or two occasions perhaps. Um, But you don't get the detailed account in Matthew of what happened to the servants as as you do here in Mark's account. So it's it's always good when you've got these parallel accounts to read the two or whatever, the various accounts side by side. And you get bits of information from all of them. We did that this morning, didn't we? Looking at Moses. And there was a lot of reference made to the New Testament. uh, Although we were looking at Exodus chapter 2. So anyway, in verses 2 and 3, we see that first of all, a servant was sent and he was beaten and sent away empty-handed by the tenants. Already you would have to ask yourself, what you might have done if you were the owner of the vineyard or or fair enough you've gone away to a far off country but words reached you that your servant that you sent to collect the fruit 
as per the tenancy agreement, that he's been beaten up and he's been sent away empty-handed? Well, it's a hypothetical question, but I tend to think, if I was the vineyard owner, already at this point, I would have got very angry and I would have taken serious action against the tenants. However, it was not so with the owner. He sent another servant. Let's have a look at verse 4. And again he sent unto them another servant, and at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. They stoned him and wounded him in the head. I made reference this morning, or did I now? I didn't. I'm going to make reference to him later, to Stephen in Acts of the Apostles. He was put to death. Anyone know how he was put to death? They cast stones at him. This second servant who was sent by the owner of the vineyard could have so easily been killed by the tenants. Now, for me, if I was the owner of the vineyard, that really would have been the end of it. That would have been the last straw. There would have definitely been no more chances for those tenants. Those wicked tenants would have done well to flee as quickly as possible and as far as possible. But then we read in verse 5, and again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Can it get any worse than that? Well, yes, it can. Last of all, the vineyard owner sent his well-beloved son, saying, they will reverence or they will respect my son. Look at verses 6 to, six to 8. Having yet therefore one son, <clears throat> his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, they will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him, and killed him, and cast him out of the vineyard. So, did they reverence, did they respect the owner's son? Not at all, they killed him. <clears throat> now get this, they killed him, having reasoned among themselves that the son's inheritance would fall to them. Do you get that? Be honest, do you understand that? That is rather stupid, illogical reasoning as far as I can make out. It would seem that they were driven by greed and a complete disregard, a complete disrespect, not only for the landlord's well-beloved son, but for the landlord as well. They were speaking as if the landlord was dead too. They killed his well-beloved son, and yet they were speaking as if the landlord was dead, but he wasn't. And he most certainly would not give his murdered son's inheritance to them, would he? Of course not. Moving on to verse 9. What shall, for, what shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen. So much for them, thinking that they could get the inheritance of the son. He will come and destroy the husbandmen and will give the vineyard unto others. 
Therefore, at this point, Jesus, who was telling this story, said to his audience, What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? The answer is given to us. He will come and destroy the husbandmen, and he will give the vineyard unto others. Unto others. That's what it says there, isn't it? In verse 9, the last word in verse 9, others. The owner of the vineyard will take the vineyard from those wicked tenants and give them to others. In Matthew's account, in chapter 21, verse 41, we see that it was in fact the hearers of the parable who supplied the answer, not Jesus, the hearers themselves supplied that answer that he would give the vineyard to others. Having considered the earthly story, we can now consider the deep spiritual truth within this parable What the Lord Jesus Christ said in verses 10 to 11 is the key to unlocking the spiritual truth which is stored up within this parable. So let's have a look at verses 10 to 11. And have ye not read the scripture, the stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner? And this was the Lord's doing and it is marvellous in our eyes. Those words of Jesus in verses 10 and 11 were taken from Psalm 118 where it is written in verses 21, 26, 226 rather, I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stones which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Those words taken from Psalm 118 and partly quoted by the Lord Jesus Christ there in verses 10 and 11 of Mark chapter 12 they speak of salvation from sin which comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ Jesus is the stone which the builders rejected he is the head of the corner we're told this very clearly in the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7 which speaking of Jesus says unto you therefore which believe he is precious but unto them which be disobedient the stone which the builders disallowed the same is made the head of the corner so can you see that in verse 10 Jesus said and have you not read this scripture the stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. He's speaking about himself in that verse. Quoting Psalm 118, confirmed to be Jesus by Peter in his first epistle. Also those words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, are the precise words that the crowds cried out when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. In this parable, the tenants represent the Jews, the owner of the vineyard is God, 
And no surprises, no prizes for guessing that the well-beloved Son is the Lord Jesus Christ. And last of all, the others who receive the vineyard is the believing church. Allow me to explain this. About 1500 BC, God made a covenant with the ancient Israelites, having delivered them from their affliction in Egypt. He made them his special people. However, by and large, his special people, the Israelites of old, they were dead in their trespasses and sins, just like everyone else who has not trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Trusting in the Messiah to come, in their case. As such, the blessings that ancient Israel received from God were earthly and they were dependent upon their obedience to God's laws. God's gracious dealings with Israel included sending them his servants, the prophets. Those prophets spoke of the Messiah who was to come into the world. They spoke of Jesus and there was a tiny remnant of the Jews who trusted in the promised Messiah, but most of them didn't. Having looked at the parable before us here in Mark chapter 12, and having considered the shameful treatment of the servants that was sent to the vineyard, what do you imagine happened to the prophets of God who were sent to the Jews? It's not a difficult question, is it? When you consider what happened to the servants in this parable, what do you think happened to the prophets who were sent to the Jews? Precisely the same thing. They were beaten and they were killed. Let's remember that those servants of God, the prophets, they came to the Jews with God's authority. They were the mouthpiece of Almighty God. As such, all the attacks on them clearly exposed the rebellion and the hostility of the Jews against Almighty God, who had made them his peculiar people, his treasure on earth. Finally, God sent his well-beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Jews, and as it is written in John chapter 1 and verse 11, they received him not. Ultimately, they killed him as the wicked tenants killed the vineyard owner's son. Without taking away from the fact that the Roman authorities, they're the ones who nailed Jesus to a wooden cross and lifted him up to die. The astonishing fact remains that God's special people, the Jews, who had all the blessings of a covenant relationship with God, such as the law and the prophets, all of these things pointed to Jesus, yet still they killed the prophets. And finally, they killed the well-beloved Son of God. As the Apostle Peter said to the Jewish crowd on the day of Pentecost, about nine days after Jesus ascended to heavenly glory, having laid down his life on the cross, this is what Peter said on his day of Pentecost sermon. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst 
as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. That's in Acts chapter, 20, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, the apostle Peter said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And still in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 7, verse 52, just before Stephen was stoned to death by the Jews, he said to them, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, Jesus, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. Couldn't be clearer. In those words, Stephen made it very clear that the Jews killed the prophets and then they killed Jesus, whom the prophets spoke of. In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 43, Jesus said to the Jews, Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth fruits thereof. That is one slight difference from Mark chapter 12 here. Uh, I, I, I was making reference to it earlier um, in verse 9 there. Uh, what shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen and will give the vineyard unto others. It says others in Mark chapter 12. But in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 3, it's the, the, the kingdom of God is given to a nation. Not just others, but a nation bringing forth fruits thereof. I find that very interesting that it's a nation that the kingdom is given to having been taken from the Jews, from the house of Israel. Which nation do you suppose it is that the kingdom of God has been given to? Now, in 2019, which nation is it that God has given his kingdom to? Is it the United States of America? Is it the United Kingdom? Is it the Isle of Man? Is it any of these countries? The United States where New England, that region of uh, America, is now, is it actually, is it actually in law yet where they can put to death babies at birth? Are they that nation? Is it this nation here that has just um, enacted a law permitting abortion on demand? Or maybe it's the state of Kerala in India. After all, Kerala is advertised as God's own country. And it is considered by the National Geographic Travellers magazine to be one of the world's ten paradises. Did you know that we've got ten paradises in this world, in this wicked world that we live in? I would say that the Apostle Peter furnishes us with the answer to this one, what that nation is. In his letter to the elect of God, people who belong to Jesus, having trusted in him for the forgiveness of their sins, 
people who are strangers and pilgrims in this world. He said to them in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10, but you are a chosen nation, uh, sorry, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Therefore, not, uh, therefore, what we now have is a situation where God no longer has a covenant relationship with an unregenerate national Israel. That covenant has decayed, it has waxed old, it has vanished away. The new covenant that God now has is with all who have trusted in the well-beloved Son for the forgiveness of their sins. Such people are called by God amongst the Jews and the Gentiles. So it's not as if God has completely finished with the Jews. He hasn't. And incidentally, let me say to you that I don't believe God will have finished with the Jews until Jesus returns. He is still saving people who call themselves Jews, national Jews, and he will continue to um, call such people and bring them to repentance and faith in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, until Christ returns. But as for a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel, finished. Uh, just look at Hebrews there. It's finished. It's waxed old. It's vanished away. The nation that we now have uh, consists of people called by God from the Jews, the Gentiles. They are a people from all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues. They are his peculiar people and they receive every spiritual blessing in heavenly places through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his shed blood. That is the holy nation. It can be nothing other than that. A holy nation. Finally, a parable is the word of God and the word of God is in and of itself able to bring salvation to sinners. The word of God can do this. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. This is the gospel, the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek or the Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Within the gospel message is the righteousness of God and that is revealed when you read the scriptures, when the word of God is preached to you, the righteousness of God. Not a self-righteousness, but a righteousness that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his obedience in life and in death. The thing is that not all will have ears to hear and understand the gospel and be saved. Jesus said as much in Mark chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, to those 
who believed in him. Listen to what Jesus said to those who who did actually believe in him. He said, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. So not everyone will understand the parables. They'll get the earthly story. I think everyone in here has probably understood the earthly story. But not everyone has ears to hear the truth which is stored up in those parables and to be affected by them, by by these parables. Let's have a look at verse 12. And they sought to lay hold on him. But feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. And they left him and went their way. Who were they? Who sought to lay hold of him? The ones who had just heard this parable, a a parable with very serious warnings. The Jews understood enough of the parable to know that the wicked tenants was a picture of them. That parable was about them. They knew that. It says so in verse 12. Nevertheless, their hard and unbelieving hearts were not touched by the spiritual application. They could not think beyond grabbing hold of Jesus and killing him. Where are you in all of this as we finish? Do you stop at the earthly story or by the grace of God through faith in his well-beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you part of that spiritual building the holy nation, the church of which the Lord Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Amen.